Let's go to uh, Galatians 5 first. Now we'll talk, we started this morning after I gave you a bit of a dissertation uh, about the, some of the things going on in Israel. And um, it's okay for you to look at that and to watch that and uh, pay attention to that and to hope and pray that the Lord gets in that. Trust me when I tell you um, that because of the fact that it's Israel, he is right in the middle of it. And uh, where, how, and all the other things, I can't give you the answers to that, but I can tell you he's very interested in what's going on over there. Uh, but that's a whole different world. If you've ever been over there, that's a different world, a different way of things. They're now at war, but war for them is not, when you were in war, you were in war in Vietnam, or you were in war in Korea, or you were in war in, uh, in uh, parts of uh, Europe over there. You haven't ever had war with the exception of the Civil War back in the 1800s. Uh, none of us know anything about that. I mean, we've read about it. But can you imagine that all of a sudden your prime minister, your president comes on and said, we are at war and it's going on right outside your window. That's a whole different thing. Uh, the shutters come down over there and all of a sudden things change drastically and curfews go in place and uh, it, they're, not, they're not the same as you are. Uh, they don't they don't go by the Geneva Convention and the people that they're fighting are terrorists and They're they're at war and they're there for one purpose and that's to kill you and uh, They don't care if you're a man woman or child as far as they're concerned if you're Jewish uh, Then they just soon go ahead and you be dead and uh, you study that you're going to find out that uh, Egypt's going to probably cross the line now I'm not predicting you just do your own homework and uh, you're going to start seeing some infiltration by uh, Iran and some of the other people there, and they're going to do their best to try to squash things out, I guess you might say. So you watch for those things to happen, and hopefully before uh, Wednesday, when we come back together for church, we'll be in heaven. Amen. <laughs> Don't make me a liar. <laughs> Now, what we're talking about is uh, the, the responsibility that comes, like we talked about this morning in the morning service, that uh, the responsibility of our fellowship or our relationship with the Lord rests upon us. He wants to have fellowship with us. Our problem is that we tend to lose that, and it tends to fluctuate in and out and in and out and in and out because we don't do our part of that. And so I'm giving you some things for you to consider. And we started off in Hebrews chapter 12 this morning when I said uh, every weight, we'll come back to the other stuff, things that can hinder you. Now here's the thing I want to show you in Galatians 5 that can hinder you, prevent you, keep you from um, uh, doing the things that you want to get done for the Lord. Uh, let me say this to you before I forget the illustration. I was told a long time ago by a guy that was a pretty formidable trainer. He trained uh, wrestlers and different people in martial arts and stuff like that. And uh, one of the things he said that is really profound to me, he said, if you train with people that are beneath you, you'll never better yourself. And the second thing he said was, is if you train with somebody with a limp, it won't be long before you'll be limping. And I thought, you know, that's pretty profound because I find the same thing to be true in the Christian life. Who you pair up with matters. And I got some good men here and it's good to run alongside of them and trying to encourage each other to get across the finish line instead of always battling about who's going to be first. So Galatians chapter number five, we're going to pick up on that. Look, if you will, please, verse number seven. And Paul's been giving them uh, some accolades here and some things they did right. But then look in verse seven. You did run well. You were doing real good. Things were moving along in the right direction. 
You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? What happened? What got in the way? This persuasion cometh not from him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Brother Ernie, you pray. Would you ask the Lord to help us? Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat while you're being seated there. Take your Bible and come to 2 Timothy. Now, he makes something real profound there. And what he's saying there is, is that you were doing real good until you got mixed up in the wrong crowd. There's Brother Jan and his wife there. I don't know if I introduced you to him. I'm going to keep doing that for a while. She came all the way from the Philippines to hear preaching today. That wasn't... We're glad you're here, sis, if you didn't know that. But he makes a, a great statement here. And you know what's a, an interesting thing? If you're a parent, you know this to be true. And if you've been around uh, anybody as far as athletics are concerned, you know this to be true. You're doing pretty good until you get mixed up with the wrong crowd. Somebody comes along your way and they say something to you and they tell you, well, I know what the coach said, but. And well, I think if I was the coach, I'd do this, but. And so on and so forth. Or if you're raising kids and mom and dad say, this is what's okay for you. And some kid comes in and say, oh, your mom and dad don't know what they're talking about or it comes to the school teacher and the school teacher tells you to do one thing and somebody else comes in and tells you something else you run well until all of a sudden somebody throws a beer can in the way or beer bottle in the way and then you trip and fall and then you get off track now I want all of you to make it and when I say make it I know if you're saved you're gonna make it as far as eternity is concerned but I want to see you when you get up to the judgment seat of Christ I want to see the Lord say okay we're gonna to have to take a pause here because these people have got so much gold silver and precious stones it's gonna take a while to hand the stuff out I know a lot of you are worried about it and you and you should be I get that a lot of you are concerned about when you get to the judgment seat of Christ though no whipping I'm gonna get the whipping we're all gonna to get to our hide tan None of us have done everything that we could do. Amen. We're striving to do that. But we don't always do it. We don't always do it right. We try to do the best we can. And when we mess up, we fess up, we get up, we go on, right? I want to see you do that. But one of the things you have to be aware of is, is that at times there are people that have no interest in spiritual things at all. And you have to ask yourself, not them, why is it that they're not spiritual? No, you have to ask yourself, is being with that person doing me any good? Is it helping me obtain what the Lord wants me to obtain at the judgment seat of Christ? Is He lifting up my hands or pulling me down? Your interconnections with other people, and I'll go as far as to say this, I think a safe place to start is in the church. Although there's a bunch of whack-a-moles in the church, it's at least better than trying to get them out in the world. You say, but preacher people in the church aren't perfect either. No, you're here. But I'm just saying, and me too. But the thing I want you to understand is, at least you have a better opportunity for somebody to be along the same line, but not just any church. You go with somebody else, the next thing you know, you're questioning the deity of Christ, you're questioning the King James Bible, you're questioning those are things that you, don't, you, you plant your flag and you're willing to die on. The other things may be preferences, but convictions are, when it comes to the Bible, I'm not going to give up my Bible for anybody. 
Uh, when it comes to what God says about the death, the burial, and resurrection, and the salvation by grace through you, I'm not giving that up for anybody just to have a friend for that. Do you understand? I'm trying to make you... I'm not talking about somebody chooses to smoke a cigarette or not. That's kid stuff. I'm talking about somebody that doctrinally deceives you and then pulls you off in a whole other direction. Or they start playing the wrong kind of music or they get you to go to the wrong kind of places. I'm positive. I'm not a kid anymore. I'm a long way from a kid anymore. But I would recognize this. I would say there's a lot of pressure on kids nowadays, especially from the thing somebody sent me about uh, the impact of social media now and the leading to depression. Uh, five to seven hours on average that kids spend uh, messing around with the social media. That's interesting. Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, all the other kind of social media platforms. And there's an uptick, uh, uh, a huge uptick in depression among those teenagers. Why? Well, everything they're seeing is not reality. As a matter of fact, now less than 24% of those kids that are out there ever engage in even 60 minutes worth of outside activity a day. They're just sitting around becoming couch potatoes. I guess if you're under a teenager, I guess we'd call you a tater tot. Maybe that would work for you. But here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. That stuff gets in there and you start making comparisons. And Paul says, comparing yourselves among yourselves and measuring yourselves by yourselves. It's what? Not wise. So what happens when a kid looks at that all the time? Sees things he can't have. Don't tell me that doesn't stir envy in you. You see how many other people like this and don't like that. Or I guess they still do that stuff. I didn't know why. But... They still get the thumbs up or how many likes you get and that kind of a deal. That puts an unbelievable amount of pressure on you. If you're a young person, can I say this to you? You were never made to have a hundred people look at how you dress every day and where you go to determine if you fit in with the crowd. You were made for a mom and a dad and a couple of close friends to tell you you look like an idiot. Or to tell you you look nice today. But to put yourself out in front of a hundred people and say to them, what do you think about me? You know what that depends on? It depends on what crowd you run with, and it also depends on, ladies and gentlemen, how they're feeling that day. You literally just put your day in their hands. Amen. I wouldn't ask them. You say, why? What difference do they matter make? The people that talk the most don't matter anyway, and the people that really matter don't talk. So why would you listen to people like that? You say, what happens when hindering? Well, it doesn't take much. One individual before long, one apple, one bad apple, they say doesn't spoil the whole bunch. No, but it sure does make it stink. And what you have to recognize is, is when it comes to the Christian life, unfortunately, there's some lines, some choices that you have to do. And one of those things is, is who you run with. And are they helping you get closer to the Lord or pulling you away? I know you have to work in the world. I understand that. I did it for years. I'm not trying to be a prude and that kind of a thing. I'm saying when it comes to your spiritual life, think about it for a minute. Listen, you can't pick your family. So you got to, I understand you have to have things with your family. But you have to pause and think for a minute, what about the other people? What about the people in here? Are they helping you grow? Are you an Aaron or a her? Trying to help somebody obtain something? Don't grow quiet on me now. I'm just trying to make sense. So you say, why? Well, you become who you hang around with. And so you have to be careful. It's good to be monitored. Be good to put, on, you put yourself on an ankle bracelet every now and then. You say, what? Have parameters. You have to learn to minimize and, and, and become, in that sense of the word, a minimalist. The idea that there's this, all this social pressure on you to be acceptable. Okay, wait a minute. Before you put that there, can we put that number two on the list? Can I say I want to be socially acceptable to the Lord first? 
And then if his people accept, then good. And then if the other ones do, then okay. But, but what's happening is that it's gotten reversed. Let's make sure we're acceptable with the world first and then hope the people in the church like us. And yeah, what happens? What, who cares what God thinks? All I'm saying is let's put God back where he's supposed to be. Uh, take your Bible and look, if you will, please, in 2 Timothy. You say, what happens? Uh, you kids, you begin to grow up and you begin to think that, you know, you're supposed to have what mom and dad took 40 or 50 years to get. I mean, you look around and you think to yourself, man, I wish I had this and this and this and this and this. Well, if you work two and three jobs and you work it for 60 years, you can have this and this and this and this and this. Or win the lottery. But we don't play that. So how are you going to get it? You get it by hard work. You get it by using your head. You get it by making the right kind of uh, investments. And I don't mean gambling. Right. I'm talking about using your head, sitting down by, with people that know things you don't know. Amen. And say, what's the best way to handle this? And how can I and do that? And be wise with that. The Lord uh, has uh, many people that are in the Bible that he, uh, that he uh, gave pats on the back. I guess you might say Joseph of Arimathea was not a poor man. You say, how did he get there? Hard work. There's no, no way around hard work. Otherwise, you had to come about it by hook or crook. Right. Right. And you see people, I don't care what industry they're in, they're willing to put in the time and the effort and the sweat. It's called sweat equity. And if you sweat hard enough and long enough, well, you know, you've got to learn to work smarter instead of harder. Well, no, wait a minute. Before you do that, you get rid of your work ethic. If you're not careful, what will happen to you is, is that you'll start doing certain things that are quarter slippy and slimy. And the next thing you know, you're looking for corners to cut instead of what's the hard way to get there. Look for the hard way first. You'll never go wrong doing it the hard, slow way. Never. You say, but there's a shorter route. Stop being in a hurry. Maybe the Lord wants to teach you something along the way. Don't get out of college and say, I need to be the CEO of a corporation. Start flipping burgers somewhere. Start sweeping floors. Start digging ditches. Learn how to use a pipe wrench. Learn how to do those kinds. Of, learn how to uh, clean up a car. Learn how to clean up a floor. Learn how to drive a nail. Learn how to live where regular people live. That'll help you. My dad was a pretty successful individual. He could have been real successful. He was in the business world. But one thing he constantly did all the time. I never realized the wisdom in it. He was always running around with the people that were just common people. You would call them common people. The majority of the people that he, even though he knew all kind of people from bankers to lawyers to doctors to movie star, all kind of people around, his friends were common people. I mean, they were the plumbers and they were the carpenters and they were the mechanics and they were the people that worked with their hands and they were the painters and they were the fishermen and those kind of things. Can't tell you how many times he put on coveralls and go down and turn wrenches with those guys and go over to the gym and work out with the guys that were in those, uh, in those days. I learned something from that and that is don't ever divorce yourself from common people. Amen. If you think you're above common people, there's something wrong with you. You say, what? Well, maybe God blessed you and God allowed you to get to where you are, but you're no better than common people. Amen. You might live at a higher standard. Yes, I'm amazed. Sometimes I look around here and you see these kids and you, maybe some of you don't appreciate it, but I appreciate it. Uh, you got a bunch of talented kids around here. And uh, we don't bat a thousand, but you've got a bunch of talented kids. You know how many kids can play a piano and play an organ and play a guitar and play a violin and play a cello and play a trumpet and can sing a song and can actually sing it on key? Oh, you could do a lot worse. You've got a bunch of talented kids around here. A little encouragement go a long way for them. You say what? They could be out there doing it in the world. That's a, that's a blessing. You say what? It requires effort. 
They don't just sit down at the piano one day and get it. That means that when they come here to play, they've been practicing somewhere else. Amen. They get to sawing on those fiddles and things like that. Man, I get over here where I can hear them. We got to maybe in the new building, we'll mic them up a little bit more. But I listen to them or when Brother Sean's sitting here, Brother Sean will play that fiddle and it'll sound like that horn when he plays it in a certain key. And I said the other day, I said, man, that sounds just like you blowing on a horn. He said, yeah, he knows how to make it match some key or whatever. I don't know anything about it. But I get to listen to that stuff and I'm thinking that big old bull of a man sitting there. Now think about this, man. Here's a guy that can bench press 400 pounds playing a fiddle. And he's up there playing it for the Lord. And then he stands up here a lot of times sing off a piano and belts it out like that. Now what I'm trying to tell you is that, that comes from running with the right crowd. And sometimes a man's known by his crowd. We used to have a thing called known associates. And known associates were people that were wannabes. And they'd always run with the worst of the worst because they thought in running with the worst of the worst, it made them the bad of the bad. It didn't make them anything. All they were was hay boys. They had to make their own name. But I'm trying to tell you, you got to be careful. Secondly, you have to be careful how much the world you allow to tangle you up. Are you in 2 Timothy? Look in 2 Timothy right there and come down, if you will, please, to uh, chapter number 2. Look in verse number 4. He gives you the commit the faithful men there in verse number two and endure hardness as a good soldier in verse number three. And then he said, no man that warreth entangle himself with what? That it may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Who are the pleasing there? The boss? Your husband? Your wife? Who is that? You know what the Lord said? The Lord's pleased when you're doing what you have to do to make a living, but you're not entangled in it. Being entangled in it, it's being wound up in it, like being wound up in a net. Any of you ever done any sane, sane pulling a sane net before? Anybody done that? You drag that net out there and those things in there. When they swim into that deal, they hit that net. And then a lot of times they'll twist themselves up in that. And then you get it back up on the beach. They don't just flop out, man. You've got to sit there and try to get the net out from under. Entangle. That's what entanglement is. Twists you up, binds you up. And then before long, you're drowned laying up on the beach, flopping around and don't know what it is you're going to be able to do. Entanglements in the world. Uh, too much of the social media, but not only that, too much of the news media, too much of the movies, too much of the TV, too much of anything, ladies and gentlemen. No man that warth entangleth himself. Gets all wrapped up in the current events. Whatever's going on. Well, give it about 15 minutes and some story will trump whatever your story is and then your story will be a thing of the past and then it'll be on to something else. You say, what? It's instantaneous anymore. You've got a phone in your pocket, man. Before long, something happens. You pull that phone out and you've got a picture of it and it's up on the internet within three minutes. I mean, I'm talking all over the world. Just that quick. You know how many? They did it up in uh, Connecticut. It was not long ago when I was with uh, Brother Donovan here a few weeks ago. He was telling about the little town where he was raised. He said, uh, did you ever see it? He named the, the name of it. I'm sure these guys would know what it is. I don't remember. But he said, this guy put himself on the social media feed, the Facebook feed, and he's walking through there, and it's like he's playing a video game, and he's walking up there. He's got on all the body armor and stuff, and he's just shooting people. Not randomly, just walking through, just shooting people. And like he's playing a video game. And he's broadcasting it for everybody to see. It's running live. Look it up. It's somewhere up in Connecticut. I don't think he'd lie about something like that. Well, that's the time you live in. And you get tangled up in that stuff. You've got to always be out there. What's the latest thing? What's the latest deal? Were you there when? And so on and so forth. Sometimes it's good just not to have been there. Amen. Sometimes if you're just not there, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to explain that you weren't involved in whatever happened because I wasn't there. It's, well, why were you there? 
Well, I wasn't doing anything wrong, but why were you there? Well, did you know they were going to kill the guy in the store? Well, no, I didn't know they were going to kill the guy in the store. Well, why are you in the car with the guy in the store that went in the store to do that? Well, I, well, I didn't know he was going in there and robbed the guy. I just shouldn't have gotten in the car. Do you understand? What you have to recognize is, is there's sometimes that individuals that, that they, uh, they don't have your best interest at heart and they will throw you under the bus. Amen. Now, you may get spun up about financial matters. I guess when you live paycheck to paycheck, like a lot of us do, you live that way, you know what you begin to think? You begin to think to yourself, well, what about this? The real concern would be, can I put bread on the table? Well, and how much uh, uh, hair or inch are you, uh, inches you add into your statue by all the worry you're doing? Amen. If you spent the time praying that you do worrying, all that worry does is spin you up and then you get frustrated because it's an unanswerable question. You can't, there's nothing you can do about it. It's going to be what it's going to be. What's going to happen tomorrow? I'm going to prepare best I can. I got a list a mile long of things I'm planning to do tomorrow, but I got to sleep first. <laughs> right now I'm planning on finishing preaching and then have a meeting with a couple of fellows. And then after that, I'm going to the house. I got to, I got to sleep first. And then if I wake up in the morning, I'll start knocking out my list. Now, I have to make a list. You say, why? I get entangled. I can't get up in the morning and turn on the news. I'll sit there and they'll bait me up and before long I've got to hear what so-and-so said about such and such and the thing of a Bob and the Doom and Felicia and this and that and the other. A storm's hitting somewhere and I want to see that and there's a firestorm over here and now with all that stuff going on over there in Israel, I'd sit right there and it'd be noon before I even knew it and four cups of coffee and I'd be sitting there, you know, <laughs> jumping around and that kind of a thing. And, and I kind of, I can't, this is for me now. That's entanglement for me. Entanglement for me is, listen, I have to watch it. If I'm going to sit down and watch something, I have to know what I'm going to watch. Otherwise, I'll just sit there and mindlessly just... I'm sure y'all don't do that. The next thing you know, I'm drooling. She comes along with a little napkin or something. She said, baby, you're drooling. Let's go to bed now. Like I'm at a nursing home, you know. Entanglement. Entanglement. I'll tell you a place I can get entangled. An ice cream bowl. That thing will swallow me like jaws. Yeah. So what she did, she gets me these little things. And I learned a way around that. She gets me the little things. I just buy ten of them. Amen. <laughs> Honey, it's just a little thing. How'd that get back in there? It's like the boy with the five barley loaves and the two fishes. Honey, every time I take a bite, it replaces itself. I, it just it keeps coming in there. And she'll go in and go, Oh, no, you... Yeah. <laughs> I, I can get entangled. I'll tell you an entanglement. I can get entangled in bitterness. And boy, the devil gets one of those. You ever seen a real old-fashioned bellows? Brother Mike knows what I'm talking about. You know that thing that's shaped? It's kind of like a heart shape. You know what that thing does? You say, what does that do? The blacksmith uses that to get the coals hot. And boy, I get hung up on something. Boy, he blows on it. He'll even blow on it sometimes with Scripture. It's out of context and misquoted, but it's just what I'm looking for. Now, I know you've never been that way. God bless your heart, I'm glad you had. And I'm just being honest. I'm just telling you, I can get entangled with that. I can get entangled with worry. The affairs of the world, I can get entangled with that. See, it's not all about wicked and ungodly things. It's worry. It's worry. It's worry. I worry about you. 
You know what one of my nicknames is? Grandma. You say, you got to be kidding me. You? Yeah. I worry about you. Every one of you. And when you're not here, I got a couple of guys been telling me I'm coming. 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 They've been telling me they're going to come. They ain't showed up yet, but I keep looking for them. I'm worse than the prodigal's father, man. Like a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. I can get hung up in that. Are they going to ever make it back? Are they going to come back? How far are they going to go before they never come back? Will they come back? I hope they come back. I wish they'd come back. You say, why? It upset some of the people. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. I want to see them come back. I can get entangled with that. You ever get entangled with that? You ever get entangled with a bad habit? You say, what's a bad habit? Anything keeping you away from the Lord? You just get in the habit of not coming Sunday night? You say, well, it's hard to come Sunday night. And I had to go home. I didn't know if she was going to make it back with all the stuff. And I had to go home. And I went home there. And I finished eating uh, uh, lunch there. I sat down in the chair and made a couple of phone calls. And the next thing you know, the Sandman came by. <laughs> that sucker shows up, man, at the weirdest times, man. And the next thing you know, I'm back there. And I woke myself up snoring, man. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with you? I don't snore. And I said, yes, you do. And I said, no, you don't. And I said, yes, you do. And well, what just woke you up? And I look over there. She's not there. She's working. And I'm, and I'm out, and then I, that kind of a thing. Well, he came by there, man, and then I realized, man, I had a meeting that I was supposed to be here, and I'm supposed to meet over there, and i am got all this going on. And something inside me said, well, they'll understand, you know. <laughs> that never happened to you? Yes. It's hard to get that come back, ain't it? Yeah. It's right. You ever get entangled in that habit? You ever getting entangled in the habit of when you go to pray, instead of praying for somebody, you pray against them? I mean, the Bible says you're supposed to pray for your enemies, don't it? Do you pray for them? Do you pray God will dump fire on their head? Or do you pray God will bless them? What do you pray? You ever get entangled in God get them, God get them, God get them? And not realize that God may have them there to see whether or not you'll be more like Jesus. I'm glad he didn't sick Jesus on me every time I messed up. I don't know what it'd be like to have a bad wife, but if you had a bad wife, do you pray for her? Yeah, I pray for her. Pray God will hang her by her full neck. <laughs> that ain't what I'm talking about. You ever had prodigal kids? Now you're getting closer. You say, why? Your kids can get out and do things they shouldn't be doing and there's something in your heart if you're a good mom or a good dad that you pray God to be merciful to them. Amen. That's what you ought to pray to your enemies. Amen. Are you a real Christian? Are you just entangled in getting the one that got you? Heaven's going to be hell for some of you. You're going to get up there in heaven and realize that you didn't get to pick who went there. You say, who'd God? God put a whole bunch of misfits together. And he said, y'all going to learn to get along with each other. Have you ever looked around here sometimes? It's like Heinz 57, man. There's so many herbs in the recipe. You don't know what it is. It's like a secret sauce, man. We got everything from every walk of life you can imagine. But you ever look in the mirror and say, how did I get here? Why are you letting me be here? Why do I know what I do? You know where that bear comes to bear? That comes to bear when you're going through something and somebody did something and you're praying that God will bless them. 
in the book of Job, you was mentioned earlier when Sis got up here to sing her song, and she got up there and says, you know, if I can get me a, uh, a redeem, not a redeemer, what is it, a ransom, you know, everything will be okay and that kind of deal. Well, in that same book right there, you know what happens? The Lord says to Job, I'll turn your captivity into when you pray for your... You know who he's asking them to pray for? The ones that are giving him bad advice. That's pretty high cotton, isn't it? You ever get entangled there? I wouldn't want to show a hand right now what I'm about to say, but any of you ever pray that Satan would destroy somebody? That used to be a big thing way back in the day. Some preacher would get up and shoot his mouth off. We'll just pray that Satan, not me. I don't want nobody praying Satan down on my kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids. You say, what do you want to do? I want to pray for mercy. I'll let God handle that. I know he does everything well. And when the time comes and he decides to do what he needs to do, he'll do what needs to be done. But I ain't going to make suggestions to him. I ain't doing it. Now, you, you, may, you may, but you know what that means? That means you're more spiritual than God Himself. That means you think you know everything there is to know about the situation. You ever get entangled in that? You must. You're mighty quiet. You say, what is it? That's the affairs of the world. You want to please Him? Are you going to fight a war? You can't fight a war if you're going to hold on to that and go to war. You're holding on to something that's already occurred. You ever been entangled in your divorce? Your ex? No child support? No alimony? You get ready to have a conversation and all you do is talk about what used to be and how it used to be and all that other there. You're entangled in it. It's history. It's done. It's over. It's under the blood. Let's move on. You don't even need to let people know you've been divorced. We don't care around here. Not to be coy, but love the one you're with and quit worrying about the one you ain't with. What a mess they made and what they did and how much. Stop justifying yourself. Quit worrying about it. The mess has done been made. Thank God for the blood. Let's move on. It's not the end of the world. And yes, that is one of those things that separates us from the other do-gooder churches because they'll live like the cotton-picking devil and have the contemporary everything. But bless God, we don't let anybody serve in the church that's been divorced. <laughs> well, then we wouldn't have anybody doing nothing around here. A lot of the people that have been through trouble in the past are our greatest servants that are around here. No, I haven't been divorced yet. I'm just looking to see if you filed anything lately. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think she has. I ain't divorcing her. She can't run me off with a broom handle, man. You say, why? Well, I know a good thing when I see it, whether you do or not. Her to put up with me for all those years, but you ever been entangled in that? I bet you there's some of you here entangled in something that happened to you in high school. You ever been entangled in history? What happened to somebody else and you've been riding that wave for a long time? Taking up their cause? Justifying your situation? You ever get entangled in that? All kind of entanglements, isn't there? <laughs> it's not just that when he says the affairs of the world, folks, it's not just smoking, drinking, cussing, and chewing. It's anything that entangles you, entraps you, hinders you, holds you back from being where God wants you to be. You can even be that way at work. You ever been entangled at work? I'm not talking about up and down. I know about long hours. 
I understand that. But it's for a season. But it can become habitual. You get used to that overtime coming in. And you get used to them dollar bills coming in. And the next thing you know, you settle into the traces and you're working 16 hours a day when you don't need but eight. And then you let everything else go. I know you've got to make the hay while the sun shines. Don't misunderstand me now. But you better put a limit on it. You'd be entangled in it. You say, why? It's addictive, isn't it? For you people that aren't lazy, working hard is addictive, isn't it? It's a drug. Well, baby, I only worked 16 today. I'll get me a little nap and get back at it. I sure ain't lazy. Man, who would want to do that? Anybody that loves their job. You can overcook it. Well, we better move out of the entanglements. <laughs> Look back in Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews 12. This one's a little bit easier. It's a little more clear cut. Hebrews chapter number 12, we're talking about hindrances there. And now what he says there is, he says in verse number 1, Seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight. Now watch this. And the sin which thus so easily beset us. Every one of us has one of those kinds of things that when we get moving, it'll make you trip and fall every time. And it'll be that one thing, it'll be that actual uh, one thing that is your Achilles heel. And it'll be consistently the same thing. If you have a problem with gossip, it'll jump up and bite you. Right when you're running pretty good and you're doing pretty well, the next thing you know, somebody entangles you in some kind of a conversation about something or this and that and the other, and before long, you're off the track again. Uh, if it happens to be illicit things or wrong things or wicked things or ungodly things, I don't know, I can name them, I guess, all day long. But those uh, sins jump up there, and there'll be something consistent about that. It can be laziness sometimes. Sometimes it can be gluttonous. Sometimes it can be those kinds of things you can see on the outside. Sometimes it can be self-pity. Self-pity is a sin. You ever feel sorry for yourself? <laughs> well, now, preacher, come look in verse number four. Same passage there. Hebrews chapter 12, look in verse number four. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. Look in Hebrews 9. Look in verse number 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit purge himself without spot or, uh, to God? Purge your conscience from what? Dead works. You know what he does is, is he says that old thought life comes in and the next thing you know, self-pity and woe is me and I'm lowering whale poop in the bottom of the ocean. I'm uh, so upset, I'm so uh, dejected I could eat ice cream out of a butter churn. And before long you're feeling sorry for yourself and then you're sitting there with Job on the ash heap or Elijah under the juniper tree and you're saying, it's enough Lord, just let me die. I've had it. I'm done. I'm through. I'm finished. Self-pity has probably finished more Christians than anything else. It's a sin. What do you have to be pitied on? I mean, think about it a minute. Brother Sam said this morning, he got ready to get up here and he's singing a song, you know, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord... And you know what he said? He stopped. He said, you know something? That's a good way to make your problems go away. It's just to think how good God's been to you. Well, he told you the truth. 
But when's the last time you came down to an altar and said, Lord, uh, I want to confess my sin of self-pity? Like God made some mistake of putting you in whatever situation you're in. You think whatever you're in right now, God didn't know was coming? Isn't that frustrating? God knew you were going to be sitting right there stewing right now. What's he got to hit that for? Why don't he hit drinking? Because you don't drink. But you can sit and sulk with the best of them. Some of you women, you wake up in the morning and you look over there at your husband and you're thinking, and you feel sorry for yourself. I feel sorry for you. <laughs> you get to running through history in your life and you're thinking, boy, you know, this and before long, you know what you're having? You're having what they call a pity party. Woe is me. Boy, it's terrible. You know what you're doing? You're giving the devil ammunition. God knew all that stuff was going to happen. You know what the devil will do? He'll jump on that and he'll say, you're right, Eve. You got a bad hand. You got the short end of the stick. You're always on the bad end of the deal. Yeah, Eve, that's right, man. I don't know what it is about you, but you always in the, in the bullseye. They're always picking on you. It's your day in the barrel every day. And you get touchy, don't you? And you get cynical, don't you? And then you get where you, where you think everybody's coming to get you. Is this too close to the cotton, maybe? You say, what is it? I call about the sin of self-pity. Where do you see the Lord? He pities sinners. He doesn't pity himself. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes you get to looking at yourself and you're thinking, well, this is a pretty sad situation. And the Lord said, what do you got to complain about? You're going to heaven. When you die, you know what's going to happen to you? Well, but you know, I've got this problem and I've got that problem. Well, thank God you're not twisted up like a pretzel. Amen. There's a lot to be said for what those old people used to say about this thing. And the old people would say, you know, eat all the food on your plate. There's people starving in Africa. Anybody ever hear that before? You know, along with the one I walked nine miles uphill to, you know, with holes in my shoe in the snow. You heard that one once or twice and those kind of things. But, but let me ask you a question. Do you ever pause and ponder and think about it? What you're saying when you're saying that is, is God's a bad God. What do you have to be pitied on? Well, I got sick. Okay, you die sooner and go to heaven. Well, it's inconvenient. It hurts. Well, you get more at the judgment seat of Christ. If you suffer, you shall also reign. Well, why did this happen to me? Why do you think so much of yourself? The only reason you got your feelings hurt is because you didn't think you deserved to get your feelings hurt. How about let's reverse it for just a minute. Instead of putting it on the person who hurts your feelings, how about you pause and think for a minute, well, I probably deserve that. I can look back in my life and tell you everything I got that's come to me and everything that's happened to me, I deserve that and then some. The next thing you know, it's kind of like, well, who do they think they are? And the Lord's like, uh... Who do you think you are? I mean, God's been merciful to me. Amen. I hadn't been chastised for everything I've done wrong. Amen. I hadn't been whipped every time I turn around. Right. If a little bit of rain comes in my life and I got to get the galoshes and go slogging through the mud, I figure God's been good to me to allow me to get the galoshes so I don't get mud between my toes. Amen. I've changed on that. I got a whole sermon and I'm trying to come out and I'm trying to beat it back right now. But I got a whole sermon right out of the Bible. Just passage after passage after passage after passage after passage about self-pity. About bitterness. They run synonymous. Yes, amen. They run right side by side. They're kissing cousins. They're conjoined twins. 
Ahithophel comes over there, man. That's Bathsheba's granddaddy. I don't know how many of you set Bible students that know that. That's Bathsheba's granddaddy. And starts giving uh, counsel over there. That's one of uh, David's main counselors. Starts giving counsel to Absalom. And then Absalom winds up uh, a mess over there, hung up in a tree by his hair and gets darts through him. And then Ohithophel goes out there and gets him a milking stool and throws a rope around the rafter and hangs himself in self-pity. How'd that happen to my granddaughter? How'd that happen to my granddaughter? It was a terrible thing to my granddaughter. Well, it was a terrible thing. Uriah winds up dead. I understand that. The Hittite. And she winds up being the king's wife. But he's bitter. It kills him. Didn't kill her. That's what bitterness will do. It'll kill you. It doesn't kill the other person. How about we have the altar filled up with people just that? We won't do that. We're like, well, no, I ain't that way. Oh, man, I've seen it shut churches down, boy. I've seen people upset over a gravestone out in the side of the church down there. I ain't going in there. Well, why not, man? What's the matter? I heard the guy from Jacksonville. He's kind of crazy and all. You can sure come in there. It ain't about who's in there. It's what they done to mama. Well, what'd they do to your mama? Moved her. What? Yeah, right here. She is right there. Graveyard dead, right there. That's where she was. They done moved her over there. I said, well, why'd they move her? Well, because they said she's on the line. Okay. You got me. What does that mean? Property line. I said, well, was she on the line? No, matter of fact, she is over it. <laughs> That's what he said. I'm out there in the graveyard just praying, trying to get my head together, and I'm walking around reading the gravestones, you know, here lies old man Joe and this and that and the other and stuff like that. We sure were glad to see him go and that kind of a thing and, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. He don't know. He's gone, you know. And yeah, you know, matter of fact, she's over it. I said, she's over the line? Yeah. I said, well, why'd they move her? Said if they didn't move her that they'd have to put her out there in the, uh, the city cemetery, you know, the place of the potter's field. I said, well, they moved her right over yonder. I said, so she's still here? Yeah. Well, why would you go in there? They moved her and they didn't even ask me about it. Just shoot me. You ain't going to go to church. I said, well, how long ago is that? He said, oh, I don't know, now in 20 years, I reckon. You ain't been to church in 20 years because they moved mama? Yeah. Serious as a sack full of rattlesnakes. I guarantee you there are people that are watching me right now that are sitting there in that same thing. I ain't a going there. Why? They done moved mama. Somebody's a parking in my space, is sitting in my chair. I ain't going there as long as he goes there. As long as she goes there. You ain't hurting nobody but just yourself. You ain't hurting God. How about the sin of self-pity? How are we doing? We're going to move on? So what does it do? It'll hinder you. When's the last time you confessed that? <laughs> Let us cleanse ourselves of the flesh and the spirit. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. That's a tough one, isn't it? Yeah. You got uh, problems with this? I'll give you this. Look in Isaiah 43. Now you have to trust the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And some of you little ones, you need to pay attention to what I'm saying. You need to learn to do something as crazy as it sounds. You need to learn to plead the blood and you need to learn to trust the blood. 
And there's some things that are going to happen in your life. They're going to put indelible marks in your mind, images, things you see. You heard somebody say the other day, they got up and said, do you ever seen a, a, a baby that's been shot or killed or killed in a car wreck? It does something to you. It jars you if you have any conscience about you at all. It jars you. You never forget it. Little blue babies dying of SIDS. Little babies mashed. Little babies that hung up on extension cords and swung up against the wall. You don't forget that stuff. And you see those kinds of things and you say, well, what do you do? Well, that's the stuff nightmares are made of if you let it get on you. You say, what do you have to do? What I'm fixing to tell you now, you have a problem with images? Let me talk to the young men here for a moment. Well, you old men too, you probably the same way. I'm going to be real blunt with you. You got a problem with images? You got a problem with looking at things you shouldn't be looking at? I'm not going to ask for amens or hands. Now you're going to struggle with that until you wash that stuff out of your head. You hear me? And you know what you're going to struggle with? The guilt that comes from it. And if you don't learn to apply what I'm about to show you here and soak that stuff in the blood of Jesus Christ, that stuff will haunt you. You'll be surprised, man. You'll be going along singing hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God. And you get down to pray and all of a sudden, there it is in living color. And you're thinking, man, good night, man. What in the world? And I'm going to tell you what I learned from the old preacher. You take that, you know what you do? You take it right up there in front of the Lord and you blow it up big, gigantic. You don't minimize it. And you say, Lord, that's filthy and ungodly and wicked. And I'm sorry I ever saw that. Soak it in the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't minimize it. You women won't have a problem with those images. You women will have a problem with what you think somebody's thinking about you or what you think somebody's saying about you. It'll keep you up all night long. Somebody didn't speak to you or somebody said this or somebody said that. You'll twist that thing and misinterpret it. You say, how do you know? That's in the Bible. It's what happened to Eve. She got deceived by words. But you boys, I don't mean no disrespect. You men, you young men, you know what will get you? Images. And they're everywhere. And you know what you better learn to do? You better learn to soak that stuff in the blood of Jesus Christ or that stuff will haunt you worse than liquor, worse than crack cocaine. I don't have no preaching. Nobody comes to the altar. Oh, preach, preacher on drugs and drinking and smoking and, and uh, crack and all that other stuff. Uh, not the church. The church nowadays, you know what you need a good sermon on? Images. Yes. Images. That's what you need a sermon on. Watching those things you ought not be watching. What's the matter, boys? You're getting a little nervous now? You're going to change the topic? Make sure you talk about something else? Oh, well, now that ain't, that's, you know, that's okay, baby. Don't you worry about it. Okay. Well, let them haunt you. They'll hunt you down in the middle of the night. Boy, you'll start doing things. You'll be in good, man. Praise the Lord. Reading your Bible, praying, and so on and so forth. And the next thing you know, that thing will jump in. And boy, it'll lock down on you and grab you. And it'll take you to Davy Jones' locker. Can I just get a witness? Amen. You know I'm telling the truth. I'm trying to help you. You say, what do you have to learn to do? There's only one thing I've ever seen to be able to solve it. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And you've got to learn how to apply it. You say, well, preacher, what happened? You ever have a problem with a ghoulie monster? Nightmares? Night terrors? I mean, the bad ones. You ever had a problem with that? I've only ever seen one thing work. 
I've seen them put them down with medicine, the stinking horse tranquilizer for that matter. I've seen them load them up with fluorazine to try to keep them from night terrors. But let me ask you a question. You want to get rid of them? You know what you do? You've got to put them under the blood. You say, oh, it's just ridiculous. Okay, well, go on and fight it then. But if you're struggling with images, I'm going to close with this here in just a minute. I'm going to give you some scripture. You know what you have to do? You have to believe it when you say it and ask God to take care of it and then move on. Go over and start trying to tell everybody what you did and how you did and that's going to make you better. No, it ain't just going to let everybody know all the stuff you did and they ain't going to never forget what you did. Why am I on that tonight? Because we're talking about sins of the Spirit. Things nobody else knows but you and God. That kind of stuff. Stuff that will hinder your relationship with God. Oh, you'll be quick to correct everybody else, but you've been peeping. So I'm going to help you tonight. You want to get clean? So I'll come to the altar. I'm not giving an altar call. I don't want you to come to the altar. Matter of fact, if you come right now, I'll tell you, turn around and go back and sit down. You say, why would you do that? I don't want somebody thinking you're coming down here because you got that problem. But I'm saying if you got that problem, you, think, you, don't, you don't think you have a problem with it, you got it under control, you got a problem. You got a problem. Is this too plain for you? Nobody wants to talk about that. You say, well, everybody does no big deals. What's a big deal? Yeah, it, it'll, it'll bite you, boy. Look at this thing, if you will, please, in Isaiah chapter number 43. Look in verse number, uh, well, let's make it 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy what? You know what you have to do? You have to put that stuff under the blood of Jesus Christ and let him do what he said he wants to do with it. You're not surprising the Lord with that stuff. The Lord knows it's there. Okay, you messed up. Okay, fess up. Now you better put some guards in place. Look in chapter 44 and divide that in half. 22, 44 or 22. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as, a, uh, and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Now you say, that's the nation of Israel. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you can come to 1 John if you want. You don't have to go there. All sin is cleansed as soon as you confess it to the Lord. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and cleanse us and cleanse us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. One of the scariest passages in the Bible, if I wasn't saved, would be that last verse or two there in Ecclesiastes where he says that he, uh, he judges the thought, he knows the, the fault, the secret thoughts of every man. How would you like him to crack, crack your skull open tonight and put your thoughts up here? If you're a red-blooded American male of any color or stripe or whatever it may be, That'd be something nobody would want to see and you'd, be, you would never, you'd probably go shoot yourself if you knew they knew that about you. That's the real you. So what do you got to do? You got to walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5 and I'll be done. Now, preacher, what do I have to learn to do? I'll give you this other stuff on uh, um, Wednesday night. But you know what you have to do? You haven't yet resisted unto blood. You have to strive against sin. That means you have to avoid it. The Lord doesn't tempt you to sin. Let no man say when he is tempted, he is tempted to God. For God doesn't tempt the man to do evil. But when he is tempted, he is drawn away of his own lust. 
Now you can set whatever you call those things. These guys try to help me with that stuff. I, I'm not good at all that. You can set guards or whatever it's called or whatever. <laughs> That's a weird thing. You're setting a guard and you know the password. I know a guy that struggled with this stuff. I mean, just, just struggled and struggled and struggled. He said, well, preacher, I, I said this. I said, give your wife the password. Let her set it. And so before you go to pick up your phone again or your uh, um, device again, you ask your wife for the password. <laughs> he said, oh, I, I, I couldn't do that. Well, I guess you don't want to quit bad enough. You know, one fellow that had struggled with this for a while, I told him after he did what I'm giving you right now, I said I'd put some guards in place. He said, well, like what? I said, like the, the computer being out in the living room and the only time you're on it is when your wife's there. He said, well, that's silly. I can't do all the stuff I need to do. Okay, keep struggling. I don't know what to tell you. So I couldn't get anything done. That's, that's childish. I ain't the one struggling with it. <laughs> you got to put some guards in place until you develop a trust, until you build up a trust. She's there to help you. Yeah, she might get mad at you at the beginning, but babe, I'm struggling with this. God help you if you're pulling her into it. Boy, I must be on something tonight. I think I'll tag out and let you take it for a while. I guess this must be more common than statistics are saying. The latest statistics say 70% of the men sitting in here are dabbling with it. That's in church, Christian men, 70%. Or have within the past year. Now you put it under the blood, but if you don't, if you, don't you know what will happen? That thing will beset you. You go through a dry spot, and things ain't going like they're supposed to be. Justification begins to happen. And appetites begin to rage. And here comes the besetting sin. Like jaws swimming up out of the deep. And the next thing you know, gotcha. And then you feel like a beaten down whipped dog and then you don't want to come to church you don't want to be anything you don't want to read your Bible and you feel like a failure he got you again okay get up again claim the blood ask the Lord when those things come in your mind before they ever develop listen when you start debating it you're already headed for it the moment it's conceived plead the blood you will not beat it otherwise. The minute you start, well, I should, maybe I should, well, I, I, I'll just lie. I, listen, listen, I'm telling you, I understand what it is you're fighting with. You will not fight it without supernatural assistance. You can't do it. It's against your human nature. You can't do it and walk in the flesh. It can't be done. You've got to have God help you. And some of you may never struggle with alcohol. You may have never struggled with uh, cigarettes. You might not have struggled with some of the other things that are common and preached on a lot. But I bet you there's a handful of you in here that struggle with that stuff on a daily basis. Especially if you're single or divorced. And God's looking. And the devil knows just how to catch you. And sure as I'm standing here, the next time that happens, the next thing you know, they'll walk up and say, hey, can you sing a special? <laughs> and you'll be like... Whew. 
Now, while I'm on this thing about images, ladies, you're no less guilty, although it may not be about that. But you drum up images about other people. Plenty on that. I guess I need to go ahead and run that sermon through you on Wednesday. You ought to come for that one. Watch in Galatians chapter number 5 again. Pick it up in verse number 16. Real familiar. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, preacher, what does that mean? That means that if I have fulfilled the lust of the flesh, I can definitely tell you at that moment I was not in the Spirit. <laughs> then how do I have victory? Verse 17, the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. I can't do it without God's help. And then he goes down and he lists, if you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. I don't have to do what the flesh tells me to do. I don't have to do that. Now you read through those things, but look what shows up before you get through. Look at the first four things mentioned in verse 19. Every one of those are con connected to an appetite. Bible's a pretty plain book, isn't it? Now, come on, boys, if it was just a men's meeting, could you say, yeah, I could use a little help there? That stuff gives you a twisted idea of how it's supposed to be. I know I'm not comfortable going any further with it than that, but let me just say this. If you're struggling with it, number one, learn to plead the blood. You young kids are seeing this stuff now. When I grew up, you had to know somebody that had a filthy magazine and you had to go way out of your way to be able to find something that somebody got a hold of a daddy's book or something. I mean, it was next to impossible until you got on up into junior high school or whatever. Nowadays, your parents are giving you a telephone and the telephone, I don't care how much stuff they do, you remove the block and next thing you know, you got stuff coming on in live living color. And that stuff gets you at an early age and you're got. And you say, what do you need to do? First thing you need to do, learn to plead the blood. How's that go for you, preacher? I'll just tell you what I do. I, it's going to sound corny to you. I do this when ghoulie monsters come around. I say, I plead the blood of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. I plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's something out of my past from what I used to do for a living there and something comes up there I don't want to think about, I don't want to see, I don't want to know about, I take it up there, I do like the old preacher said, and I blow the thing up and I say, Lord, I'm asking you to soak that in the blood of Jesus Christ. I am not willingly thinking about that. Now for me, sometimes when I get to praying and fasting, I'll have stuff that comes out. It's like a purging process. And that stuff begins to come up from the bottom. And I get down toward the bottom of that thing. I know I'm getting toward the end of the fast because all that nasty stuff comes up. And some of that stuff will start boiling up to the top and it comes up there like that. And the Lord goes, what about that? And you say, well, Lord, can we just hold on to that one a little while? Can I deal with that a little later on? I appreciate you bringing that up. But I just, let's uh, put that back down there in that room. and Let's bring up something else. The Lord still gives you a choice, doesn't he? I don't want to think about it. But I have to let him know I don't want to think about it. I don't, do, I don't expect him to surmise. Did, did you want to keep that around or... He'll, he'll say, what about that one? No, Lord, take that. Get it out of my head. I don't want that there. 
If you get ready to pray tonight and all of a sudden that old root of bitterness comes up, would you let the Lord have it? You know why it's there? You hadn't pled the blood over it. That's why you still remember it. Something happened 20 years ago. Plead the blood over it. Ask the Lord to soak it. Wash it in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that's the best thing I know to tell you. And when it comes to that other stuff, you have to recognize, just like an alcoholic has to stay from places where alcoholic beverages are served. You know what's amazing to me? I know we need to go, but you know what's amazing to me? When somebody says they're trying to give up liquor and stuff, like even people they go out drinking with try to help them. It's strange. It's like, oh, no, I don't, I'm, I'm quit drinking. I haven't had a drink in six weeks now. And all that. Oh, hey, man, no problem. I'll drink club soda with you. Hey, I'm good for you, man. That's, that's good. And you get a Christian trying to get over some stuff. It's kind of like, that's kind of stupid. Well, why? It's not stupid. But you help them. Pray for them. You say, what? They're struggling with something. That thing comes up and you plead the blood over it. And then I'm suggesting to you, you've got to put some parameters in place. It's going to come back. If it has to do with the devil, we'll talk about this on Wednesday night. You know what you need to do? Stop putting the welcome mat out. Yes. Stop inviting him in. Some of the reasons that that stuff is so strong is, is when it comes in, it comes in with another spirit. And you gave him the ground and now he's got a beachhead there and he's going to start building a fort right there. Amen. And it's devil of the time to get rid of him. Hard. Kick him out. When you get him out, you bar the door. You close the windows. You call a concrete man and block up the entrances where the rats and the roaches have been coming in. You block him from getting in there. And you say, no. He said, well, I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house down. No, you ain't. My house is built upon the rock, not upon the sand. Get out of me and leave me alone. And after a time, you know what'll happen? First, it'll go a minute at a time. Then it'll go an hour. And then you'll make it two hours. And then you'll make it three hours. And then guess what will happen? You'll go through the next thing you know. I hadn't thought about that in eight hours. Man, I'm, do I'm doing pretty good, man. I made it through a whole day. I made it through a week. Man, this, this is pretty good. I, I think I got it. Good. Don't let your guard down. Don't let your guard down. But you can do good. But it's a battle. It's a fight. And don't let anybody ever tell you there's some secret to it. No, man. It is a fight. I'll feel for you. See you, but folks, that's a lot more than just drinking and dipping snuff. That kid stuff, man. All right. Thank you for your attention. I